Recently, I wrote a post on my LinkedIn page that was a testament to my love for Canada and my frustration with our country's direction. I believe my points and the episode that follows also play to our neighbors to the south. I titled the post, What's Stopping Canada? 38 million people, vast intellectual, emotional, and natural resources. We share a border with the world's largest economy. Millions upon millions would leave their homes to move here. So who stops Canada from being the most incredible place to pursue dreams, a family, and prosper? We do. My belief is we've had it too good for too long. We've fallen in love with the idea that all's going to be provided to us. That Canada is a land of endless milk and honey. And our biases? They're padlocked by surveys that show, well, Canada is the best place to live. Or by political campaigning that indicates that one party is a provider and the other will strip away our entitlements and rights. And the more uncertain and insecure we are, the easier we divide. We slap labels on each other like anti, woke, and terrorist. And we ignore the insurmountable debt we are pouring on our kids' feet. We accept that our politicians surrender policy and governance in favor of a reality show, where snackable rhetoric is eagerly digested by one side and violently vomited up by the other. We're easily distracted. We no longer invest in investigative journalism. We see personal debt very differently than government debt. At home, we know we have to be financially accountable. We have to prioritize. We have to expect and demand honesty from each other. Yet with all levels of government, we shrug our shoulders. We ignore the lack of transparency. And we find comfort in saying, yes, but the others, well, they're even worse. Well, my question to you is, what if the milk dries up and there are no more bees to make honey? What if Canada loses its capacity to borrow to cover our entitlements and the gross inefficiencies in how we invest our tax and borrow dollars? If that happens, it'll be too late. We will become a pawn sacrificed to a world organization or a country with a checkbook. Canada needs to start earning our way forward. We need to spend within our limits. And given our growing priorities, healthcare, aging population, we need to grow our economies with bold vision. For a start, Canada must become a superpower, providing our allies with the most ethically sourced food and fuel. Yes, people still need to eat and heat their homes. Second, we must stop preaching in school in favor of teaching the next generation the essential skills they'll need to survive in a world where jobs will be competed for in the clouds and machines will continue to get faster, better, and cheaper. Third, we must unlock Canada's ingenuity and entrepreneurship. We have to turbocharge productivity. We must go after Israel's position as the startup nation. Canada should be the startup nation. And when we find those ideas, let's also provide the capital so those roots are planted in Canada. We must tap in our gift as natural storytellers and take advantage of our rich cultural nuances and become a powerhouse in exporting content. Can all of this happen with our current state of affairs? I just don't know. You're listening to the iHeartRadio Canada Talk Network, and this is Chatter That Matters with Tony Chapman, presented by RBC. We need a leader, possibly a new party, that has the key to opening our minds to the need for fiscal accountability and growth. And I might have that leader on my show today, or at the very least, he might be the catalyst we need for change. His name is Danny Asaf. Danny has written a book titled Say Please and Thank You and Stand in Line. It's one man's story and what it takes to make Canada unique. Danny has vision, currency, conviction, context, and passion. Danny Asaf, welcome to Chatter That Matters. Thank you, Tony, for that very thoughtful, also kind to me, and gracious and generous introduction. It's a pleasure to be here with you today. So I got to ask you, my first question is, why are you spending so much time and pro bono 
I mean, this is just your own passion, focusing citizens on their country and the beauty of our culture and the economy. I think, Tony, it comes from a, a familiar place to many of us, which is a deep love and appreciation for our country and what it has given us and given our families. And although imperfect, is still a strong, enduring, burning belief that our best chapter is yet to be written. I, I love that attitude and I love that that sense of possibility. Where does it come from? You have this level of patriotism that I often see in the United States and other countries around the world, certainly when uh, football is being the World Cup is on, but you, you just live it and breathe it. You know, it comes from a lived experience and a life growing up in Alberta. We'll talk about that. A place that very much when I grew up was a live and let live place. And fundamentally at its core is this belief in the power of humanity and the things that we can do to make our lives and the lives of other better to just enjoy this very short time on earth. And then you think about where is it that humans with all this potential and this passion can be organized or exist to really unleash the potential and the beauty of that? And you look across time and you look across geography and then you see there are unique places in time and space where that can happen. Canada represents that. Danny, you know, I've had people on my show that have faced near death and come out of it and appreciate every day of their life in a unique way. I call it a gift. There's not a second they want to squander. And then I've had people that have immigrated to Canada or their their parents have, you know, Tarek Haddad, Mohamed Fakih, Zara Al-Hariz, and they have a, an appreciation for our country. They see it differently. They treasure it differently. Is that part of the secret sometimes that we get so comfortable and confident in the Canada we know that we almost take it for granted? I think it is a common human experience to become complacent. And you can come become complacent about your country, you can become complacent about your job, you can become complacent about your marriage and your and your family. We can all be victim to that. Life is always about living that day that we get, that every day we wake up, we have another day, another opportunity to make the most of our lives and, and, and improve hopefully the lives of those around us. In addition to that, when you have these heritage, for me, it's from Lebanon, for many other Canadians, it's from other beautiful countries and beautiful cultures, but it gives you perspective, Tony. It gives you perspective. So you also see the tragedy and complacency. So Lebanon, very proud of my heritage. And it is an old and ancient country that goes back to the Phoenicians. And actually, Byblos, the Arabic name of Jebel, is a UN heritage site. And it's designated as the first urban center in the history of humanity. This is where people first lived amongst one another as opposed to on farms or with animals. And it's also the land of the Phoenix, this place that kind of regenerates. And then you see in recent times, it was called the Paris of the Middle East, and today it is exhibit A of a failed state and people who are divided and sectarianism. So when you see things from my own perspective, this place of beauty and this place of, of, of history and promise that is now at a dead end, it also keeps that alive inside you to appreciate what you have and to appreciate what we've built in Canada 
and to take this project forward and always make the next chapter better. You know, Danny, I'm really focused on positivity and possibility, but my opening, which is from a LinkedIn post, was pretty tough on Canada. Do you think it's fair when I come out that strong and say, I don't think that we are as knitted together as we should be. I think that East and the West are at war. And the, and I, if I'm a liberal, everything the conservatives do is evil and awful. And if I'm a conservative, the liberals are all communists. And the set this great painting each other and, and, and slapping labels on and, and just hurting ourselves into castles where we only hang out with like-minded people. Am I exaggerating that? Do you think that that's just an anomaly? Or do you think that that is slowly working its way into our culture? Unfortunately, you're not exaggerating that. And I think for all of us, we need to be realistic. You know, when we're talking about the responsibility we have to ourselves or our family, to those who are closest to us, does it help to not acknowledge our weaknesses or our deficiencies and work every day to improve uh, our lot? That doesn't mean I don't love something because I can look at it objectively and try to improve. That is the journey of life. That is the beauty of life. That's what keeps us, the curiosity in us nurtured of, I saw this being done yesterday. I didn't think it was perfect. I can do it better. And that ability to say, we can use the power of our minds, the power of thought, the power of collaboration to do something better tomorrow. So I don't think you're wrong at all. And I agree with what you have set out in terms of the state of affairs in our time, each time has a different set of priorities and challenges. And you, you know, you have this conversation is called chatter that matters. And it's also chatter at a time that matters. There are times we look back in Canadian history where there are different priorities. Our institutions are strong. Our political parties are strong. Our economies are strong. So you have different priorities, just like your family, or what do I need to focus on? I have the luxury of focusing on this because this is working, or that is something. You get a flat tire, you better pay attention to where you're gonna get a replacement for that. And I think in our time, in our project here, this idea of division, of where do we go from here and this new economy and the world realigning itself, that means these things matter, including the ideas of leadership that you're talking about, because it's not a time for autopilot. You're listening to Chatter That Matters with Tony Chapman, presented by RBC. Today, we're all fascinated with our discussions about our history and looking back and trying to find out the things that we did imperfectly and the injustices of previous generations. And it's really important to go through that exercise because not only is it healing and we bring justice to those who have suffered injustice, it's also important because it creates a whole new platform of respect for one another so that we can see one another in the proper context. My guest today is Danny Asaf, he's an author, brilliant competition lawyer, and somehow or other he finds the time to also be an adjunct professor of law at the University of Western Ontario. Danny, take us back 100 years to the 1920s. Why did your great-grandfather choose to come to Canada? So the old world, for all its beauty and all its charm, it has this legacy and this structure of this game having been played time over time where... They were farmers in the Bekaa Valley, and they didn't see a lot of mobility. They wanted a fresh start in a place that gave them this blank canvas. 
In addition, there is a history back to the Phoenicians of the Lebanese of just going places and this curiosity to explore the world. Then you get into the specific moment in time of how it happened, and it's about information and how the potential and the opportunity of different places is communicated. So then the story is there were Lebanese who came to Canada in the early 1900s or late 1800s. How did they actually think to come to Canada? Farmers in the Bekaa Valley have their produce. They want to sell it in the big city, which is Beirut, a very ancient port city. They go to Beirut. There are ships there. There are men who work on the ships. They sit and have dinner together, a fire or whatever. They share stories. Guess what? Somebody tells the story of the gold rush and this place of opportunity where you can literally strike gold. And then they decide, you know what? Let's go and see if we can get, be a part of that, get a piece of that action, so to speak. And that's how it starts to northern Alberta. By the time they got here, there was no gold. There was no rush. There was nothing. It was all finished. It was just prairie. And it was winter. They looked around and said, what do people do here to provide for themselves, make some money, and start a life? Trading and fur. And that is a beautiful chapter of Canadian history. Lebanese Muslim immigrants who came, including my great uncle, who became award-winning mink ranchers and furriers and traded with our indigenous brothers and sisters, learned their languages to, in order to connect with them even better. And that's a history of Northern Alberta. Is it fair to say that this story could be played out time and time again in this century, if we let these immigrants and refugees, so some who choose to come to Canada, others who didn't have a choice, and let them practice what's in their knapsack, their education, their experience, as opposed to, you know, the, the expression is the best place to have a heart attack in Toronto is in an Uber because the chances are your driver is a surgeon. <laughs> I completely agree. And it's not just fantasy. It's a proven formula. I'm a lawyer. So I look back and I see what's the precedent for this? The greatest economy in the history of humanity. The greatest democracy in the history of humanity, as you mentioned earlier, is south of the border. And it grew and lived, again, imperfectly, yes, but still. Bring us your tired. Bring us your hungry. Bring us your poor. I think it worked. I think the jury's in, Tony. It's so funny that the psychology now is against, you know, a country like the States, and I would argue Canada, that was built on the head, heart, and hands of these immigrants. As you said, bring me your tired, bring me your weak, it doesn't matter because you're going to want to rebuild. The whole narrative seems to be going against it now. They're going to take our jobs. I mean, uh, England exited the uh, economic union because the whole sense is the polls are going to take our health care. Trump was going to build a wall. And you're seeing that still in Canada, that we fear what is our future, which is bringing people in that absolutely go all in. It's ironic and sad. But again, it comes back to we are all forgetful. As humanity, we are forgetful. We forget stuff. We, I'll put myself at the top of the list. And thank God I have a beautiful wife and family. If I forget, they'll remind me. And we think of America. Look at what it did. It was built on kicking out the establishment. They said, you know, all you established folks, literally the king, they wanted to kick him out to let a whole bunch of nobodies try to build and run a country. And if you ever go, I took my son uh, a little while ago, we went to a football game in, in Washington, D.C. We took him to the Jefferson Memorial. Read those words. 
Yes, they were very, those were not perfect people, but those were not small words that you write on there and about the potential of humanity. So yeah, it was not implemented properly for a long, long time. But the fact that there was a country and people who thought like that, I mean, we're talking about the 1700s. It, you have to give credit where credit is due. An incredibly powerful idea. And they built this extraordinary, extraordinary country. So today, we have enough. We think we have enough, right? We have enough people. We got enough ideas. We got enough superstars. We got enough everything. We got enough rock stars. We got it all. And remember this. Today, the greatest innovations that animate and motivate and support our world were not the creations of the Rockefellers, the Kennedys, the Eatons, or the Vanderbilts. Who built them? Bezos, Zuckerberg, Jobs, names that no one had ever heard of. So imagine what the world would have been like if back then they said, you know what? We got enough really smart people. We got these fantastic families. They'll figure it out. You know what? It doesn't work like that. So in real life, I'm also a competition lawyer. So I focus on how markets evolve and how innovation is nurtured and is unleashed into the market. And I'll tell you one thing, just because you won yesterday, don't mean you're going to win tomorrow. So throw some, some new players on the ice and you never know where that McDavid's going to come from. You had aspirations like we all did. And maybe the aspirations was playing ball hockey and scoring the winning goal in overtime. But hockey's was something that was in your blood. Still in my blood. I was up till one in the morning yesterday watch, still watching the Edmonton Oilers play the, the Chicago Blackhawks last night. <laughs> and I always, I still, the dream lives, Tony. The dream lives. You never know. Well, I'm a Habs fan, so let's not get into Leaf, Leafs versus Habs. And... <laughs> I liked you up until now, but oh God. <laughs> so the other thing that I just think in context, because there's times where circumstance hits and it can change you forever. 9-11, and I tell you, I had another beautiful a summer hack was on the show and she had a very similar experience. 9-11 happens. The next day, people you think are your friends and your neighbors suddenly label you as a terrorist. And you had a similar story, didn't you? You know, it was like a slap in the face. Ultimately, it's a reminder to me and to all of us of how we're all vulnerable. We could all be othered in a moment in time. For us, I never imagined I was anything other than a typical Canadian kid. Sure, I ate hummus and pita, but it was without question a place where I felt 100% Canadian and wanted to live the Canadian dream and wanted to be in the NHL. Never thought of myself as an other ever could be another. And then this global catastrophe, this horrific act of terror is inflicted upon New York City. And in a moment, I am portrayed as the other. In spite of a lived history of decades of family, of contribution, and of this integrated, beautiful mosaic of the Canadian experience, I'm the other. And then a neighbor to my parents in a cul -de on a cul-de-sac in Edmonton puts up a sign. To this day, I have no idea why. A big sign in their bay window, point, with an arrow pointing to my family's house saying, Osama bin Laden lives closer than you think. Wow. Talk about a wake-up call of how fragile this beautiful project we have can be. And how did you react? Like you just prayed that that sign would eventually fall off the window or did you, did you confront the neighbor or? The reaction to that and what happened in the aftermath is also the, a, a seed for hope and beauty. So what happened when that sign went up at 9 a.m. or 8 a.m. in the morning 
is our neighbor to the other side of us, who is not Muslim, a beautiful Canadian family, they're the folks who saw it first. They came to my parents and told them that this sign was up. And they said to my parents, you do not worry about this. You stay in your house. We are going to deal with this for you. And they called the police and they managed to raise the alarm bells and get the police to come to start to unwind all of this. And ultimately the police came, they got the neighbor to pull the sign down. Unfortunately, the heat only went up after that between us and the neighbor. But you can see that these neighbors, again, and why I always have this belief and this hope that when we see this darkness and division, it is not what defines us. That there is that Canada we all know and believe in, which is reflected in the title of my book, Say Please and Thank You and Stand the Line, and we'll talk about that. That we need to resist these forces and always seek to find our true and to reaffirm our true identity in what has always made this place so special. Speaking of this book, say please and thank you and stand in line. When we come back, Danny's going to unpack that book and talk about how he believes it's a platform for Canada going forward. Hi, it's Tony Chapman, and a big thank you to RBC for sponsoring Chatter That Matters. Speaking of matters, I have a question for you. You're checking on your family, your health, even your car. When was the last time you did a check-in on your finances? Well, RBC Check-In is a virtual experience with no obligation. I got answers to all of my money questions, big and small, and I now have a plan for my future. Book a check-in at rbc.com slash check-in. We think of the power of ideas, which can be communicated now instantly, and the biggest marketplace of ideas is now open, and we think about how we're going to invest our money and our time in building an economy that caters to that, to what our dream is, what our aspirations are, what Canada's about, what technology offers in the moment, in the 21st century, and what markets are gonna look like. They're gonna be bigger rather than smaller. We know we need a strategy that focuses on the individual rather than on industry. You're listening to Chatter That Matters with Tony Chapman, Presented by RBC. My guest today is Danny Asaf. He's a competition lawyer. He's an author. He's a proud Canadian. And he has so much to say about what makes Canada one of the greatest countries on the earth. So, Danny, what's your motivation for writing this book, Say Please and Stand in Line? I thought it was terrific. It's easy to read. It's personal. It's got such passion in it. But I'm just, I'm always curious if people, when they write a book like that, is that more your legacy for your family? Or is the intention is that Canadians read it, think about it, and do something? It really is the latter. You know, people have talked about it. They've used a phrase that you used earlier and that you feel yourself. It's, you know, they said it's a love letter to Canada. And also looking at things in a very realistic way as well as to what the challenges are, but always try to think of a way through them. It came from, you know, coming out of this tragedy and horror of 9-11 and then being labeled another. I saw and experienced that division and directed personally at Muslim Canadians. Through all of that, there's this pulse and this beauty of our nation that always beats. And it can't. It's very hard to put out. It's always there. My son, who went to Upper Canada College here in Toronto, 
is playing in a football tournament. He's 12 years old, Tony. He's the quarterback of one of the teams they play. He gets awarded MVP of the tournament. There is an alumnus of Upper Canada College, his name is Mark Kohan, and another beautiful Canadian family of Jewish heritage. He sees this boy, Mohammed, and they give him the opportunity to be CFL commissioner for the day. Mark loves this boy. He opens up all these different meetings to him, and Mohammed is participating in this. And then at the end of the day, that's not enough for Mark. He says, you know what? I want this boy to come, and I want him to participate in the 100th anniversary ceremonies of the Grey Cup here in Toronto. Of course, I grew up in Edmonton, a big Eskimos fan at the time. Now they're the Elks. For me, it's in my bones and in my blood, the CFL, and growing up as a kid watching Tom Wilkinson and Warren Moon and all these fantastic players and their amazing success. And then he designates him, my son Mohammed, this boy, this is 11 years after 9-11, to be one of two kids who represent all of Canadian youth. And Prime Minister Harper is there. Governor General Johnson is there. They award my son or give my son the Canadian flag at an event earlier in the, in the daytime. And then come game time, it's my son, this boy Mohammed, whose great great grandfather came to Alberta in the 1920s. Honestly, it's just a, such a great story is taking the flag to midfield, representing all of Canadian youth. And I just sat there and I looked at it and I thought, When my great-grandfather came, could he ever imagine that it would be his great-grandson who would take the flag out at the 100th anniversary of the Grey Cup? And I felt this desire to talk about that, to share that story. And I wrote an op-ed in the Globe and Mail at that time, and then people read it, and people said, you should write a book. I also like the way that you plant seeds with the intent to having them grow inside of people's minds. For example, when you refer to how a lot of people call Muslims, you know, belly dancers, billionaires, or bombers. I think that's such a clever way of getting people to realize that that painting, such a stain on a part of your humanity, I think it's a great way to, to, as opposed to just scolding people, to just sort of let remind them that this is the kind of vernacular and currency that exists and why it's wrong. How do we get that out of our vernacular? And I don't mean by insisting or by law, because I think we do too much in terms of putting boundaries and walls around people saying, this is how you must behave, but just more on the, on the level of human decency. Whereas human to human, we take great pleasure in treating each other as equals versus otherwise. It starts with these very simple, basic things. For myself, what do I want for my own life? And what do I want for my neighbor? So what is a democracy at the end of the day? It's a place where the peasant can, te- can contest the king and the peasant can prevail. It's a beautiful way of ensuring that every person, regardless of their rank, name, and serial number, can make the most of their potential. Why? Because we're all born with this spark of life within us and this potential and these passions and this power to contribute for ourselves and our loved ones and make the world a better place. No human being wants that put out. Nobody does. We live in a country where who you are, God willing, will never determine what you can be. That is the most beautiful existence for all of us. And we want that for our children and our grandchildren. So we want to preserve the game board so that that 
remains and endures. From there, when you stare into somebody's eyes, whether it's in a job, whether it's for a relationship where it's anything, and in particular when we're thinking about today diversity in the workplace, the first place I believe we can all start is when you look into the eyes of another person who doesn't look like you, who doesn't worship like you, who doesn't share your background, who doesn't share your interests, and keep our minds open that that person could still do a heck of a better job at my job than I can. And then when we go to that point, and then we think about our own desire to never be judged or put in a box or be in a place where we're dictated to, and then we start to see how we or others describe one another in these generalized ways to basically dismiss and to put out their spark, we realize that this is not in our own interest and isn't going to make our lives more peaceful and more prosperous as Canadians as a whole. Because I'll tell you one thing, we're sure going to be a hell of a lot more prosperous and peaceful together than divided. When I study politics over the air, and you know, it used to be about the soapbox and the controlling the media of the day. It was, you know, the newspaper and Roosevelt mastered the, you know, the radio and Kennedy, the television. And, you know, you'd argue Obama, the early stages of social media. But today, because of data, politicians have an ability to herd you into a castle, like-minded people validating like-minded content. And it becomes us versus them. The middle ground, in fact, becomes the moat around the castle. It doesn't exist. There's no consensus building. It's really about, you know, listen, yeah, my record might be horrific, but they're worse. Think of what they're going to do. How do you get to what this sense of presence and purpose and humanity when we're being countered daily, both by politicians and what seems like foreign interests, to dismantle democracy, to not let the peasant prevail over the king? A lot of sizzle. Where's the stake, baby? At the end of the day, what are the solutions that are being put forward by the people who are dividing you? Are they solving the problems of today? And ultimately, we will be exhausted. And ultimately, you're going to find the gas tank is out of the cars out of gas. And then you're going to want people who are going to come in there and say, time to roll up our sleeves and get to work. And I think the American election was a function of that. Not partisanship in any way. Republican, Democrat, doesn't matter. There can be great people in any party. But you could tell people are exhausted of fighting and being divided, and they voted against that. And that is also the wisdom of the people. So it will be a matter of priority, of self-interest, and the job to be done that humanity always, and God willing, will continue to pull ourselves from the brink. Because if you think of when we started, the first humans, they had nothing. How did we build all of this? How do we have rockets that go to Mars? It was a product of the mind. All the things that we have on this earth are basically here. The game board was set. The lithium, the fuels, the pieces, the puzzle. Humans thought their way through every single problem. And they turned those rocks into car batteries. And they turned that rock into, a, into aluminum for whatever they make spaceships out of. Our generation, we're not... No one's asking more of us than what's been asked of other generations. So don't let's not get too high on ourselves. It's our turn to figure out how we keep the substance of what makes our, our countries and our communities strong, even stronger and better for the next generation. Hi, it's Tony Chapman. When we return, 
I've got some breaking news. Danny's about to release his next book. Well, the power of ideas really comes back to humanity's greatest asset, which is the power of our minds. Which you couple that with our instinct to survive and to thrive, it is what really makes humanity unique among all species and makes life so bright all the time, or the potential for the future always so bright, because we can always think our way out of something. You're listening to Chatter That Matters with Tony Chapman, presented by RBC. My guest today is Danny Asaf, one of Canada's leading thinkers when it comes to competition, and more importantly, Canada's new economy. So, Danny, it's fantastic we're timing the show. Your book is coming out. When do you expect the release date to be? Late March. So tell us what the book is about, because the last one really was... You poured your heart out about what Canada is and what it can be. What's the context of this one? So this one is almost a corollary to my first book, which my first book is about our social existence and how we keep and ensure we stay united and see more similarity in one another than difference because we are stronger together as we write this next chapter. But as I was talking about, we always have to try to remain as logical as we can and solutions-based in making sure that all of the pieces of life come together to give us the most of this journey that we have on Earth. So this is really about economically, how we look our way forward and how we reinvent and reimagine that Canadian dream in the 21st century. So I wanted to write about the opportunity of this new economy and this new digital economy and this new techno- technologically based economy because it's causing us a lot of anxiety and people are worried because we're in transition. The idea behind this book is coming back to me being a competition lawyer and I write it with two dear friends, Walid Hijazi and Joe Manget, who are uh, acclaimed in their own rights and entrepreneurs and, and a professor at Rotman School of Business that the tools of productivity have been democratized. So you and I are talking over a computer today, and there are opportunities in this new economy to put your content, to put your ideas, to put your intellect into the marketplace directly with less intermediaries. So we come back to how was the country built? How was Canada built? It people with ideas and people with passions and people who were productive. In the past, capitalism was about scale and shipping lanes and access to water routes. Now a lot of it is going to be created in the cloud. So, you know, Israel can become a startup nation and an idea in Israel can become a global brand. Why is Canada's productivity being in such stagnant and we're going to be the least productive growth of any first world nation? And they say for the decades to come. You're saying we should unleash all this opportunity and productivity. It's available. We don't need scale. We don't need shipping lanes. We don't need 300 million people to create products and services that matter. Why do we have to take a back seat to all of that? We don't. And that's what this book is about. It's about saying we need to shift our focus from focusing on industry to a focus on the individual. That's fundamentally what this book, Everybody's Business, is about. So when we think of anything, we want to build an economy. Okay. So always try to break down the problem. How do you create wealth and prosperity? doesn't matter what. It's always been a function of the same four things. You need people. They need tools. They need inputs. And then they need to access to capital and access to markets to sell the stuff that they've made. 
So how do you imagine that in the 21st century? You need to make sure that you play to your strengths. What does Canada have? It has an incredibly educated workforce. We have a world-class healthcare system. Yeah, not perfect, but we do have that. So then how do you take technology, marry it with the strengths of your people to create wealth? Connecting those dots in the most efficient and effective way is how we're going to unleash the productivity of Canadians for this next century and how, just as importantly, we're going to reinvent the Canadian dream so that every Canadian feels the power of that potential and we go from a state of uncertainty to a state of hope and then a state of success. So, Danny, that's very Kennedy-esque. That's very Nelson Mandela-esque. But the leaders that I'm seeing right now in Canada on all parties are less about uniting this country and saying we are in transition. There's going to be pain with that. There's going to be intent with that. But when we come through it, we are going to have this this country that you're talking about. That requires leadership versus, hey, I really want to win ballots in the next election, so I'm going to offer free this or that. I mean, it's a very different type of leadership we're, that you're calling for. Or am I, am I being unfair to the people in the parties today? No, I think the people in the parties, you know, there are a lot of good people. There's a lot of people who sacrifice to serve our country, so I don't want to disparage anybody. But I think the system is kind of broken. And you know, when you look at the problem that we have and you think, okay, how do we get through this phase of this uncertainty and this transition? We need to stop thinking so short term. And the whole political cycle is very short term. And it's about my tribe, your tribe, what party do you belong to? And this immediate kind of election cycle. Now, that was something that maybe we could have got away with 20 or 30 years ago where the world was less competitive and we had it better than we do today. And there was a more clear path to how you create wealth. But you know what? That ain't going to cut it anymore. So we're in this transition period where we too, as citizens, have to figure it out. When in doubt, just bet on the Canadian people. It served us pretty darn well till now. So let's go back to that well. So the Canadians are recognizing today that we need something more. And what you do need is you need people and we need all of us to be engaged in a conversation of figuring it out what it is that we really need. And it ain't just my party winning the next election cycle. And we're at a point where we do need some new competition in the system here because you do have this game theory kind of dynamic playing out where each party one way or another is kind of playing more to its base, throw them more red meat, throw them this, throw them that. And again, you can't fault anybody. It's kind of the way the market is working. So that's where you need to inject new conversations like you're having and you're encouraging for people to be out there. Because then we also have a role in that as citizens, because we can dictate the agenda. If Canadians are thoughtful and engaged and they ourselves, ourselves, create a constituency for the things that we know and we feel and we see are going to make our lives better, trust me, politicians will follow. Danny, my final question to you, and you must be asked this all the time, why don't you go for that? People would rally around you in terms of being that individual that can start reaching for rungs on the ladder that we're all proud of, not a rung that's red or a rung that's blue. First thing is I'd have to be able to convince my wife, and she is definitely... <laughs> <laughs> she's definitely the senior partner in this relationship. Uh, and then, you know, from there, I think it's a matter like all of us thinking, you know, in a time and in a moment, how can I best serve my country? 
there's different ways to do that. We'll see what doors open in the future, but I think it's always motivated by trying to think of how to best be able to give back and to show gratitude for what I've been given and to share that with my kids and the kids of all Canadians. And again, always striving to say, if nothing else, if nothing else, Danny, if nothing else, we have been entrusted with this beautiful country and this beautiful history. And it would be a tragedy and a failure and a personal humiliation if collectively we all couldn't pass it off and give it ahead as good as we got it. I think that if someone like you steps up and says, I'm willing to take this on, I have to believe that you will have some of the smartest and most dedicated and passionate Canadians come forward, race out of those castles, jump back onto the middle ground and be the peasants that can absolutely prevail because I think the country needs one of you and it needs it soon to really step forward and remind Canadians that what we have, this isn't the land of endless milk and honey. This is a land where we've got to earn our way forward. So I always end with three three statements. The first one is you make a lot of statements to individuals. Your entire thesis to me is about putting the person back into this personality called Canada or industry. And I love what you say is we're moving from a world where it was all about industry to now the individual. With it becomes an incredible responsibility because as individuals, we have to take our future seriously. The second thing I love is the beauty of how you describe democracy. It's where a peasant can contest a king and a peasant can prevail. And we need to get back to the peasants being allowed to rightfully and with integrity in a positive sense raise their pitchforks in terms of the freedom to speak the freedom to protest and the freedom to demand change which i love that the third thing is just you as an individual how proud you are of your roots of your ancestors that have always been nomadic and looking for you know milk and honey and traveled to canada thinking there was gold and ended up in alberta and built a great life and learned the indigenous language and i think that that's just continues to roar through you your son who got to carry the flag in the gray cop that this is about tapestry this isn't about individuals this isn't about ethnicity and gender sexuality this is a tapestry called canada you wrap that flag around you as good as it gets so for all of that and more danny is safe i i'm so proud and honored and delighted you joined me on chatter that matters are you kidding it's my honor it's been such a beautiful time to spend with you and god willing we get to see a lot of good things together Joining me now is Alan Dupontier. He's the Chief Marketing Officer at RBC. We've gone through some pretty tough times, the pandemic, isolation, and now we're coming out with inflation, lots of headwinds that are hitting the Canadian consumer. How do you respond as a bank to helping Canadians come to terms with where they are and ideally help them get to where they want to go? You know, I think we really kind of pivoted as an organization to really lean into trying to reach out to our clients, kind of understanding their unique situation. And one of the things we did during the pandemic is we came up with a program called the RBC Check-In, which was really about us reaching out proactively to talk to clients and talk to Canadians to help them through these tough times and really tailor 
a solution for their unique situation. Now, how is that possible with a bank your size and having so many clients that you can find a way to be more personable, to, to come up with ideas that are more unique than versus, you know, here's our menu board. What would you like today? Many clients are uh, a little bit intimidated to pick up the phone and, and call their bank and ask for help. So I think the most important thing is we had to be proactive. We did that through many of our marketing communication channels, whether it's sending out emails to invite them to reach out to us, but we also picked up the phone and called them. And I know most clients typically don't like get outbound calls from companies, but when you're calling to help them, they tend to, to react positively to that. The second piece is we went back and looked at a lot of our programs that we had for tough times. You know, maybe we haven't done it at the scale of a pandemic, but we've lived through these things in Canada many times. Think about forest fires in the West Coast and in Calgary, floods. These situations unfortunately happen periodically throughout the year in a very isolated basis. But with the pandemic, it actually happened on a national basis, which really pushed us to, to think differently. I mean, when I look at how we persevered, I am so proud of the human race. I'm so proud of my fellow Canadians that we managed to shoulder this together. I wonder if history will look at the pandemic and say one of the silver linings is a world coming together versus what I was seeing in many cases is being pulled apart. I feel what we've tried to do as an organization and as a marketer and as somebody that looks at our brand, really just try to be hopeful and optimistic, but also being pragmatic. If you're going through tough times, you actually want someone to come in and listen, someone to understand your situation and someone to give you options that hopefully can no matter how tough it is, hopefully gives you hope that you can go to a better spot tomorrow and hopefully over the next year or so. So I think it was super important as part of this kind of check-in program that we led with listening and caring and truly understanding the person's situation and then give them options. At the end of the day, it's their decision on which choice they want to make. Our job is really to help them look at options, hopefully empower them to get to a better spot. And how did that resonate with your employees? You know, I often hear now that a lot of the great resignation is people feel that the company they're with doesn't have a higher purpose. People really rallied behind trying to help clients more than they typically do. And I think if you think about your purpose when you go into work, like I don't go into work to be a marketer. The purpose for me is I want to wake up and say like, how does our organization do good in, in society? And I think where we help is we help people with their finances and their in their economic situation. So the fact that we can reach out to clients, we can understand whether they're in a good situation or a not so good situation, how we can actually make their life a little bit better through some of our advice, maybe some of our financial products and services, or just listening. And I think that makes people feel good when you wake up that you're doing good in society and the role we play as part of society. The second piece I think as an organization that makes us feel good is the work we do in the community through our partnerships with charities and other nonprofits. Uh, they also went through a very difficult time through the pandemic. Uh, I think as an employee, that, that makes everyone feel better. We're doing good for Canadians, we're doing good for clients, and we're also doing good for the overall community. I'll end this by just saying, and I, and I mean this from the bottom of my heart, the people I've worked with that work for you absolutely love the organization, love the fact that they feel empowered, they're allowed to make mistakes and take risks. And I think that's testament to you, your culture, and the people that I've come to get to know over the last 160 something episodes. So I, I thank you for letting me be part of that as well and uh, continued successes in your uh, marketing role. I appreciate it. Thank you. Chatter That Matters has been a presentation of RBC. Fridays, join Tony Chapman for Chatter That Matters on the iHeartRadio Canada Talk Network. It's Tony Chapman. Let's chat soon.